Hello, hello. Hey, this is Lee Siegfried with the Life Will Live a Dogs podcast. Welcome. Today, we are going to talk about holidays and dogs, or really, this could be any get together within your home where you are going to be hosting people and navigating that as a dog owner or pet parent. What do you guys prefer? I don't know. I have not fully, I got to be honest, I have not fully embraced the word pet parent. I'm working on it. I don't know. <laughs> but I would, I'm actually curious if that, if that term resonates with you all or not. So this is an episode that I'm really excited to talk about because so many people reach out to us client-wise either prior to the holiday to prepare or on the other side of it. Sometimes the day of, we will get some inquiries. And as you can imagine, the day of inquiry is usually because there's something going on that the client's not really sure about how that they can they can manage or handle or better. Th- what it really comes down to is it's people grasping at what would make a difference in a situation, um, and they're troubleshooting with you know the best skill set and tools that they have. But I wanted to take this time because I think that there's honestly like a little bit of a disconnect around inclusion of dogs in festivities and and with hosting people at your house that needs to kind of be enmeshed with the reality of the dog that you own and just understanding perhaps from the dog's point of view, what may be more important to them versus our perception of what's important. So let's get into that. (laughs) Okay. So I'll give you an example. I had an inquiry the other week from someone who's preparing for the Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays saying, you know, hey, we're going to be traveling. I'm going over to my uncle's house and my dog tends to bark at men. What do I do? So let's just start with one of my tried and true recommendations for this time of year. Whether you're traveling or whether you're home, and depending on where you live, but if you live anywhere near I live, baby, get on that knee length parka and get that dog out on some trails or for some nice long walks or for some you know some some games of fetch that actually help the dog be more biologically fulfilled and enriched prior to starting the day. The day it's a full day. It's a full day for people experiencing hanging out with loved ones, friends and family. It's a full day for our dogs. Just for context, when my parents would visit, I had two dogs at the time no children in my household, when my parents would visit and would just be in my home for like, say, a long weekend, my dogs were exhausted for like two days afterwards. And it was this noticeable pattern of you come in town on a Friday or Saturday, you take off on a Sunday, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, there's like a little dip in energy. And here's what I want to say about that. It's not because we were doing more. It's not because we were more physically active. You know, we have to think of people visiting and staying in our homes, as well as people that are just there for a short period of time as generating and activating for the dog. Take, for example, if you have a dog that ordinarily is maybe, you know, value securing their territory or space, and then you add more people to the home, or let's say you have a herding breed that on a good day might like eye stalk and chase the broom if you're sweeping your floor or, you know, chase you if you do some like enthusiastic cheering move or if you've got kids running around the house. You know, for the dog, they're exponentially working so much, quote, harder to eye stock track and just keep track of the variables and the people in the household. So one thing to think about is 
even with a small crowd, it can be a lot for the dog. And I would just have you guys look at if you've hosted and you have a dog, have you noticed like a dip in your dog's energy? That was always a noticeable pattern that I, that I saw and observed. Outside of that, what we're looking at is being realistic about your expectations going into the day and being realistic about what may be helpful to your dog. Okay. So where people, I believe, get stuck or kind of struggle is this idea of inclusion that may not really be realistic. So for example, I mentioned high activity in the morning and or like midday, ideally as well for a a very full day like this. But managed inclusion in my mind may be you go outside with a dog and you play some fetch or throw a stick or you go for a walk together. Okay. Once you have a lot of people in a interior space and you have a free ranging dog, my next question for you is, do you plan to be actively, vigilantly advocating for your dog or not? Because it's a conversation of being able to be a student reading your dog's body language and understanding when they're uncomfortable and intervening on behalf of them or redirecting or guiding them to be like, okay, hey, how about we get off the couch? Why don't you go lay down over there? Or, hey, why don't we have a break over here? Most of the time where people get into a jam with guests and visitors is that the dog is free ranging. The dog is not observed. The dog may have an item, may just settle in a space and and their body language is saying, I, I'm here, but I don't really want any interaction. And that completely gets ignored and or not decoded from the human end or gets bypassed entirely. And then it's usually some form of touch. It's usually some form of physical touch or tactile or I tried to kiss the dog. Or I tried to hug the dog. or I tried to pet the dog and the dog wasn't into it where the dog then goes, okay, okay. <laughs> didn't really want to have to do this because I'm pretty energy efficient and I'm generally looking to avoid conflict. However, I now I'm finding myself in a role where I am going to correct you. I'm basically having a conversation with you as the human to say, give me more space. And that can be done with body tension, stiffness, just like a direct stare with the mouth closed. Like it's generally lack of movement is a really good indication of tension. Okay. So the reason that I pose that question of, are you willing to really get in there is because that's like, that's the primary thing. And if you're like, no, actually I'm not, I just want to kick it and, uh, enjoy these people for a hot minute and, you know, have some good food and enjoy a drink, then great. Your dog should be in a managed, you should be pursuing a management strategy, which looks like they're comfortably resting somewhere in a room behind a closed door with stuff to chew on and they're chilling. They're comfortably resting perhaps in a crate or behind a gate or in a space, right? Or maybe they're outside if the weather's conducive to that and they enjoy being there. Where I think people really get it wrong is that we often, it's like this blind spot. We don't think of management as like an actual option. I don't know why. And when I probably even in saying this, if this is resonating, you're like, yeah, why, why did I think removal like wasn't an option? I don't know if like we think that it's like bypassing some part of <laughs> what we should be able to do as a dog owner. It's just not so. Like really good dog trainers don't train a lot in the sense that what we do is we're astute at setting up the environment to manage the expectations. So our expectations, the dog's expectations, which ultimately advocate for the dog, reduce stress, and then we allow for what I'm going to call managed inclusion you're hanging out when we can fully commit to like 
all eyes, all vigilance, like all hands on deck. And then we're going, great, like you're exercised, you appear to enjoy this. And then we might go, okay, like break time somewhere. So I'm about to host 20 people. I have a year and a half old Border Carly mix. We're talking 15 adults. We're talking six. Let me think about this one. Yeah, six. Well, my own kid doesn't count. <laughs> They're tight. Um, but or and we've got two small people under the age of three, which is like, it's just a whole developmentally, this is a thing too. I think sometimes we're like, oh, this came up actually in a lesson a couple of weeks ago where somebody had family visiting in town and the dog had never previously lived in a household with small children. And I think, I think the kids were like two or three. So generally speaking, even if the dog has a good interaction and solid interaction with your own child, it is not an indicator of how they're going to act or react with small people that don't regularly live in their house in their house. So even if you're like, he's great with kids, I'm going to say err on the side of caution and ma- and start your strategy, start the day by managing. So now management again, just means removal and a space where the dog can actually decompress and chill. And if you're like, uh, I can't find my dog. I can't go find my dog anywhere. I can't do that. Then my friends, like your alternative is having your dog on a leash near you whilst still advocating for them. So just because they're on a leash near you, maybe laying down near you, it's not open season for people to approach, touch, pet, lean over your dog. Like that's it's sort of like this unspoken rule that if the dog is with you and and maybe we have as dog owners need to like step into our own like leadership here, right? And and be willing to have conversations. So a couple of things. Don't be a hero. <laughs> if you're getting into your holiday week and you're thinking like how how am I going to how am I going to do this? Lead with exercise AM and midday whenever you can get it in. Managed inclusion is great. Managed inclusion may look like, hey, what can we go do together that's outdoors with a lot of space where my dog can like sniff, retreat, not like we don't have to have like high pressure interaction in a confined space. A household is a confined space for a dog. I would have a conversation with any little people in your house um, and or adults to say like, you know, if the dog's confined, hey, so Fido's going to be, you know, crated for a little while while the dog's in the crate. If the crate's in a high traffic area, make sure that you have a visual barrier set up, like a blanket over the crate, maybe a little air tower, a little air diffuser. What you want to be also saying to people straight away is like, don't bother this dog in a crate. If this dog is in a crate, the dog, the dog is like crated and resting. Consequently, if the dog is removed and in a room somewhere, it's probably less of a conversation you need to have. When you're trying to do some inclusion between dogs and people, again, I'm going to suggest that that happens outside when possible, but look at ways to minimize stress by allowing the dog to be confined or giving the dog a space where they can get familiar with the people in the house without having the direct pressure of having to get familiar with people in the house. So one of the reasons that I'm very adamant about management and removal is that we? I think where people fall down on the strategies, they think it's sort of like cheating or something. Removal is just giving your dog a safe space to hear, observe, smell, and gather data and get more mentally comfortable with the idea of strangers being in their house than perhaps if they were free ranging. Now, this is particularly important for dogs that are highly territorial. If anybody has any dog, 
It was a history of running to doors and threatening people, barking, lunging, jumping all over them. A hundred percent. They need to be leashed with you or, or put away with people coming and going, you know, and it could be the first 15 people came in and then the 16th person shows up a half an hour later and it's a problem, right? So yeah, we often, we often, I think, filter our own experience with our dogs and sort of just expect that the same thing's going to hold up with a, with a person that's not you. Not always accurate, right? Secondarily, if you do have your dog in the mix, cool. And I'm still going to say they're probably going to need some downtime that you may need to structure. Now, structure is like a word in the dog training world that I honestly have like a like-dislike relationship with. I don't have like any heavy, heavy feelings about it, but I think structure just sounds like, boo, not fun. I mean, structure just really means, in my opinion, observing your dog and noticing when they're a little like uncertain in the environment and advocating for them and giving them a place to go rest where they can be unbothered. It's really, for me, it's about increasing the dog's mental comfort and giving them a place where they can actually just relax. Sometimes we really fixate on wanting to include the dog and it actually may not be that that mentally comfortable for them, right? Or they may actually not want to be there. So I had a client that I was working with who was noticing when they'd have guests come to the house that the dog would voluntarily go lay down in another room. <laughs> and I was like... Oh yeah, this this dog does actually not want to hang out with the strangers in your house, right? And the dog was heart like struggling with people coming into the home. So when we implemented a management strategy to get the dog out of the mix there, okay, and then also gave the dog structured downtime, and this dog would voluntarily walk into a crate at night and at different times of the day. And we also that was also helpful in troubleshooting having construction going on in the house with people coming and going. The big takeaway was like, oh. Like I can do that. Oh, okay. I'm like, yeah, you can, your dog does not have to be in the mix of people coming in the household, especially if they have a really charged up reaction. Now I want you to get, if you have a long-term strategy to, to not as heavily manage your dog, like management is in place as a recommendation, most of the time as a starting point or a thing you kind of circle back to. So if, for example, if you're like, well, I mean, I want to be able to eventually teach my dog to like go lay on a bed and when people come in or they come in and then they they have a spot to go chill out and chill out, fine. I also want you to hear that as like management is usually a gateway drug to higher advanced training. Because if you're not able to get ahead of a dog's big emotional response and be like, hey, let's not, let's not practice that. What you're generally getting into is working harder in order to make up for the amount of times that the dog is rehearsed. I don't know, the aggression, the running to the door, the barking all over, barking and jumping all over people, or the like, I'm hypervigilant, but as long as everyone's sitting, sitting, nothing happens. But when soon as you stand up and someone goes to the restroom, then the dog's like on them and barking at them or whatever. Controlling and guiding movement is huge, huge, and often undervalued in, in helping dogs understand how to negotiate situations. So what else did I want to share with you guys? In, in terms of things that are also helpful with enrichment, more things to chew on, more things to generally like use as stress relief throughout the day. I'll only hint at if you're giving your dog high value things to chew on that they don't normally have access to, just also make sure that what you're working in there is that they're able to chew and consume those things in like a peaceful space where they can be unbothered and no one's trying to like pet them while they're chewing on something. So in general, have an amazing holiday season. I'm going to be popping in with some other thoughts because 
I know some of you travel and traveling with dogs and that's a whole thing. Thank you so much. And if you're liking what you're hearing, feel free to review us. I'd love to hear reviews. Feel free to reach out to us. We're with Opportunity Barks Behavior and Training. You can reach us at hello at opbarks.com or pop in and say hi to us online at opbarks.com. And thanks for listening, guys. Yeah.